get a sip of water. Okay, I guess I'm ready when you are. Mm. Don't sound so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hello, Chris. Hello, John. And welcome to the final episode of the second season of Soul Searching, which corresponds to the show we're recapping on this podcast, Chris, which is Better Call Saul, which also just aired its final episode of its second season. Can you believe it? Is it just a coincidence or is is something else going on here? It could be some kind of a secret code type of setup where the fact that they're in sync is like a an anagram. Oh, I see what you're what you're leading into there, the little title anagram. All season long, we've been talking about the titles of the episodes of this show. And last season, they were all connected by the central gag of ending with the, the letter O, like Rico, Marco, Hero, all that kind of stuff. Except for the one episode, uh, Alpine Shepherd Boy, that was so named because they couldn't get the rights to use Jell-O. And then this year, we wondered what was the connection. There didn't seem to be a connection. And I think a few episodes into the season, I just gave up assuming or looking for some kind of connection between the titles. But somebody found one. I don't know the name of the person, but I know it was somebody who posted it, I believe, on Twitter uh, a week or so ago. Uh, And it's a pretty shrewd thing. I I know you know about it, but I will just run down the titles of this season's episodes just very quickly. Switch, Cobbler, Amarillo, Gloves Off, Rebecca, Bali High, Inflatable, Fifi, Nailed, and Click. So those initials, the first letters of all those words, someone figured out that if you switch them around, they spell Frings back. Now there's not an apostrophe between the G and the S in Frings. <laughs> so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry foul. Uh, but no, actually, um, I think we both watched um, Talking Saw last night, the after show that AMC has has, right. has made for the first and last episode of the season. And they confirmed it. Vince Gilligan and Peter J. Gould uh, did confirm that... Um, that they put that in there as a little puzzle, and they didn't think anyone would figure it out. And I don't know when they would have said something about it if they didn't think anyone would figure it out. But I did know that I had been wondering for a while why the last episode of the season, Click, was spelled with a K, whether that had a significance to it or not. Well, you can say Click for a kilometer, right? But yeah, so Click as slang for kilometer, which I don't think is used in any other realm except for the military, but it made sense, uh, even though they never said clicks, uh, I think that Lawson, the gun dealer, and Mike, those two characters have a military history, or it seems that they have a shared military background. And I thought that was maybe a nod towards that shared background, that military term being the name of the episode. Also, there's the click of a trigger, and there's also the click of a tape recorder at the end of the episode. So all of these things... Are, it is very considered, and it does seem like a meaningful title. But, yes, my uh, my next thought when I heard that anagram thing was, oh, did they just name it Click with a K so that they could have a K that they needed for Frings back? Right. But, um, obviously, it works on all those different levels. And I will say that I, I, I when I saw that the name of this episode was Click, I think that name came out a few weeks ago. Um, I just saw it listed as far as the upcoming episodes. And I realized that the first episode of the season was called Switch and ended with Jimmy flipping that switch. Mm-hmm. Remember? And we said at the time, maybe there was some symbolic importance to the idea of that changing your life isn't as simple as just flipping a switch. And you can flip a switch back and forth and see no effect, kind of, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and it also spoke to Jimmy's nature, that he's, he would see a, a sticker that says, do not 
flip this switch or leave this switch in this position. And he, of course, the first thing he's going to do is going to be to try it. Mm-hmm. That was a foreshadowing of his of his tenure at Davis and Maine in a lot of ways, you know, <laughs> a guy who can't resist yeah. kind of messing with the system. But I also thought, so yeah, the first episode ended with a switch being flipped. And the uh, last episode of the season ended with uh, a button on a tape recorder being clicked. And, you know, different Brothers McGill, different context, but uh, an interesting kind of bookend to the season. Yeah, pretty cool. So with that in mind, I will mention this episode was written by Heather Marion and Vince Gilligan, and it was directed by Vince Gilligan, the guy who, even more than Peter Gould, uh, is kind of responsible for this whole this whole line of storytelling coming into being. Mm-hmm. My first impression when I finished watching it was that it was much more melancholy and kind of... Uh, meditative than I expected from the finale. What were your thoughts coming out of the finale? Uh, I would say the same. I enjoyed it as usual, and it had some some good stuff in it, but uh, I do think that it, it goes with our, our feeling of the last few episodes of, mm, this is a maybe a slower developing show, or a, a, a show that doesn't uh, advance the story as fast as we might kind of wish it would. You and I had talked about this just a couple of days ago before seeing the finale, and I had said that I didn't want the show to be cautious in its storytelling, and I didn't want to end the season feeling like we hadn't accomplished much for, right. for com- compared to the feeling of last year. I didn't want Chuck to be dead. I didn't want Jimmy and Kim to break up. I didn't want Jimmy to be disbarred. I didn't want all these awful things to happen, but I didn't want to feel like we had spent the whole season taking Jimmy from a point where at the end of last year he seemed ready to become Saul Goodman, and then take him back through this this storyline of trying to do the right thing and failing and failing and floundering and then end up roughly in the same spot, you know? I didn't want that to happen. Right. I was very surprised at how quickly, though, the episode recalibrated my expectations when I was watching it, that once I started to see how they were depicting things and what they were depicting and the story that they were actually getting set up to tell, you know, when you look up and you realize it's 20 minutes into the episode and you kind of see, based on the pace of this show, you kind of see what what it's going to be dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you either embrace that moment or you go, really? It's 20 minutes in and nothing's happened yet, you know? Yeah. It was a very slow episode. And we were, you know, we were wondering, oh, is this show just going to keep getting slower and slower? And in fact, they did get slower. But in in doing so, they did something that I thought was more dramatic and unexpected for me, um, which was to restore my faith in Jimmy's decency as a person. Yeah. I don't know that I needed a season to shake that feeling that I had last year, that he was a good guy. Right. And then, and then to reaffirm it. But... If that's what they pulled, I felt like last night was a great story of how Jimmy is a good guy, and Jimmy will try to do the right thing. Right, right. Yeah, they they really made him try his best to do his best. And that he loves his brother, and yeah. so he'll do what he can for his brother, and he loves Kim, and he'll do what he can for her. And um, it's something... I don't know, like he's more eager to please, maybe, if you think of Jimmy in that light, than I'd normally think of him. You know, you think of him as this brash, abrasive Saul Goodman who gets things done. But you're starting to see, like last night, seeing a little window of the type of clientele that he's going to be pursuing Mm -hmm. with his new, you know, law firm. And, you know, when when Kim said, you can go do your thing and I'll do mine, what you're picturing is him becoming Saul Goodman and just opening the door to whoever. But what Jimmy's trying to do is to appeal to the greatest generation as his hilarious and wonderful commercial that we finally saw showed, you know, that Jimmy's mission all along was to sort of appeal to the elder care crowd that he has such a rapport with. Right, or he's still trying to do that. Now, I would ask you, do you feel like that's a a long way to go, a whole season, 
to go to end at that point? Or do you think that feels of a piece with the, the, the style and the kind of the, the pace of this show? Uh, I, I don't want to sound mean or disparage it, but I really do feel like it was uh, a lot of se- th- that the whole season just did not advance story that much. Uh, it, yeah, it told us something we already knew. Uh, if you look at it in that light, that he uh, is a good guy. You know, we established that already, and so uh, I'm ready to see more about why he falls further uh, and so on. And kind of the same with with Mike. I think they acted like uh, we're developing Mike's fall into, you know, becoming a cold-blooded killer. But I didn't really get that out of it. I don't don't think it, it, it... uh, worked as well on that level as it could have either. What I've been saying is I've been wanting to see one of Mike's schemes go wrong or blow up in his face. Mm-hmm. But what they did was show somebody getting the drop on Mike, which is is not often that a character gets the drop on Mike. Right. And there's only a few characters we've seen in the world of this show or on the show that birthed this show that could do that. And with an anagram mix-around hint like Fring's back, it's not hard to imagine that Gus Fring would be the only person who might be watching Hector Mm -hmm. and therefore see Mike watching Hector maybe and then start watching Mike. I I mean, there's so many different ways this could have happened. Mm -hmm. But there may be a lot of reasons why Gus would say no, this guy's going to kill Hector Salamanca, and I don't want him to. Right. The other option is that it could somehow be Nacho acting against Mike, knowing that Mike is tailing them, because it's not hard to believe that after his conversation with Mike, that Nacho might send some people to follow Mike. Yeah. But the only problem is for Nacho, it's very dicey, because if he does that, then he's revealing his culpability. Yeah. I think for Nacho's purposes, it'd be best if Mike just went away. Right. So a part of me thinks Nacho would kill Mike before he would send someone to tail him, you know? Mm-hmm. So that doesn't leave it open for too many people. Yeah. And they've got this anagram, Frank's back, which is meaningless if there's not if it's not something to do with him. And we got just a glimpse of Nacho this week. He is still a reasonable man. He knows this guy's about to get killed, and he knows that the guy wasn't in on it. Or at least he knows that Mike told him the guy wasn't in on it. So Nacho might not be sure, but Mike says some crazy shit. So I feel like Nacho's thinking, why would this guy lie? He, you know, he's not protecting any, <laughs> he doesn't seem to be protecting any truth. Yeah. So Nacho probably believes that the driver is innocent, and he's not able to tip his hand about that. Right. Because if he tells Hector how he knows or the, why he knows that the driver is innocent, then then it, his, it's his head on the chopping block. So that leads to the question then of was Nacho intentionally blocking the shot or was that just a fluke of circumstance that he happened to be standing with Hector in the exact spot that, that blocked Mike off? It definitely looked like it could be intentional when you when you look at it through the lens of, of uh, oh, maybe he, he knew Mike was up there all along. But would Nacho take the gamble that Mike wouldn't kill him? I think Nacho would take that gamble because he kind of said to Mike— uh, on their last meeting, you know, he almost pulled his gun and, and said, if you're, if you're trying to take down, uh, Hector's business, you're, you're trying to, you know, put me in the police crosshairs as well. And so, you know, this is a fight between you and me now. Would he bank his life against Hector? I mean, does Nacho care that much about Hector? Right. No, we, we don't know that for sure. And we don't know that he's, yeah, we just don't know if he's doing that on purpose or not. The show gave us enough clues to assume either one could be true. Yeah. A cliffhanger on this show, to me, sometimes means that they may not be totally decided on what's going on but they because they've been pretty open about that that they don't they don't plan things out too much mm-hmm. but they have also said in the past that there were certain things that people thought were supposed to be open that were not like i remember at the end of season 3 of breaking bad it ends with Jesse who's going to kill Gail the sort of sweet 
uh, meth cook, you know, yeah. that worked for Gus. And Jesse pulls the gun and points it at the camera and pulls the trigger and it goes to black. Right. And there were people who analyzed the fact that his hand was not pointing straight ahead and may have shot beside someone's face as a warning shot. Right. And then the, the creators came out in the off-season time and said, uh, people are wondering, we thought it was clear. We just thought right. it was a dramatic point to end the episode on. Yeah. So, no, Gail's dead. <laughs> Jesse shot yeah. him in the face, you know? Right. This, you're supposed to see that as a murder. Well, you're supposed to see that as you're left chewing on the moment of Jesse's guilt and regret and pain that he would be feeling and the retribution he now must go through, uh, you know, to for this, instead of wondering what happened. And right. I think that, like, so th- I don't think last night's cliffhanger was that type of cliffhanger. I do think... If this episode had been in the middle of the season, it would have felt like a great ending for an episode. As an ending for a season, it's a little bit, it's just a little bit prosaic of a note to go out on, I thought, that just knowing that Chuck has this tape. But if we think about the characters and their relationship and the back and forth and what it says about them, that they had the conversation that they had and that Chuck now has this evidence. Mm-hmm. Um I think that it leaves you with an with a really interesting set of questions to ponder. Do you know what I mean? Like, what about the nature of these characters? But there's also this aspect of Chuck that is like, he is a little too obsessed with Jimmy. I mean, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts on that. But I guess before I get into them, I wonder, what, what are your general feelings about the state of things between the two brothers? And, you know, do you hate Chuck? Do you like Chuck? What, what What's your deal with Chuck? Well, I feel like I can sympathize with Chuck and I understand Chuck uh because of all his problems with Jimmy all throughout his life. But when he goes as far as he does, yeah, you do say, oh boy, I just really wish he could see fit to uh, forgive Jimmy and have a new start with Jimmy. Because uh, in the opening of of not telling Jimmy that it's about his mom's last words, that just makes you say, oh, that's really heavy and awful. And you assume he never has told him since. And then... Yeah, when the episode ends, you go, man, come on, Chuck. Let's just, let, you know, it just seems like he, he would be able to uh, give Jimmy a little more leeway. I think there are certain disagreements that people get into where they just can't see past their own pride, and it's extremely illogical what right. they'll do. Right. And I think with Chuck, we we do have the fact that he has this condition, and, and I think we've given him a lot of room to kind of grow at least we have. I know there are people that hated Chuck from the beginning and have continued to hate him. And I guess that's the point about Jimmy is you would think after all this that he would be more vindictive or more brutal or more critical of Chuck. But he he always comes around, like even at the beginning of this year when we were coming off of last year thinking Jimmy may not speak to Chuck. And one of the first things Jimmy does is kind of check on Chuck and he's constantly checking on Chuck. Mm-hmm. I take that ending to be that now things are different between the two of them because we know what Chuck is capable of. We know that he out Jimmy, Jimmy. He tricked him. Right. And and whenever he, who knows how, when he decided to get out the tape recorder, but I just am saying the fact that as Jimmy demonstrates his compassion for Chuck throughout the episode, Chuck comes to realize that he can use that to make Jimmy confess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That he, he knew, he knew that Jimmy would feel sorry for him. And that is the, that's the most brutal part of it. Like that's yeah. the part that if you really look at that, it becomes like Shakespearean and it becomes like a murder yeah. of a heart or a soul to say that someone's using your kindness and your love for them against you in that moment, you know. Right. And we got to think that uh Chuck is going to just take this tape to the authorities, you know. I don't think he would hold it over Jimmy's head or threaten him with it or anything because that would not be lawful. Uh and so unless he changes his mind or Jimmy steals it out from under him or something like that, uh, then surely he's just thinking, 
oh, good, I get to take this straight to the police. I don't know about that. I actually wonder what his plan would be. I wonder if he would dangle it over Jimmy's head. I wonder if he'll sit on it for part of the season. I wonder if he's already got a plan in his mind as to what he's going to do with it. I mean, who knows? But I think that we can assume that Chuck's, if Chuck's wheels are turning and he's got the McGill knack for scheming, which we just saw that he does, Mm -hmm. like, I just don't know... Would he want his brother to go to jail? To me, when I pictured like the next episode after this, it seems like both Jimmy's situation and Mike's situation could be on a better spot for the end of the season because you you know if next episode Chuck is telling Jimmy, "Hey, I've got you on tape, and I'm uh, I'm down at the uh, DA's office with it right now," you know that that would be the moment to say, "Whoa, what a crazy, awful end of season cliffhanger," and also. A moment later for Mike might be because you ended it on, ooh, someone's out there around me, and I don't know who it is, but they're not here right now, but someone seems to maybe know about me. You know, that's not nearly as heavy as what might happen 10 minutes later or two days later uh, if someone is, like, you know, coming to get him or, or trying to ward him off. I get what you're saying. But it wouldn't have necessarily been more satisfying as a character piece, which in the end, this episode, I came out of it feeling like I now understand a lot more about Chuck. Like I'm giving Chuck the thumbs down and Jimmy the thumbs up at the end of the season, which hasn't been a a, a sure bet throughout the season. Right. And I now feel like Jimmy is kind of standing in the light a little bit, at least in terms of his, his relationship with Kim. They seem to genuinely have a lot of support and love for each other and just tenderness between the two of them. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jimmy's friendship with Ernesto. I mean, who knows? That could be the last we see of Ernesto. Mm -hmm. And also people have suggested that Ernesto looks like Gus Fring. And there's some people that want to say that he's related to Gus. But I I hope not. That seems to me Mm. too too much. Seems unnecessary. But what I'm saying is, so we've got all these characters that could just be part of Jimmy's world that would otherwise be going okay if it weren't for this recording that Chuck has. So even though that's like a cliche out of a million bad movies, you know, where Mm -hmm. you get a recording of somebody saying the exact thing they would never say publicly or whatever Mm -hmm. it would be nice to end this season with a bit more of a complete feeling the way we did last year where if there had been no more episodes it would have been a satisfying story this episode ends in a way that no way in hell would be a satisfying ending right but after last night it was like the show had told us that it's not concerned with bringing about Saul Goodman by eradicating Jimmy or the goodness in Jimmy that it's going to show us the Saul that we knew was Jimmy all along right and how maybe he gets enough uh situations and setups and and reasons to come around to the point where he feels it's necessary for me to be a Saul Goodman in the world, even though I'm not that bad a guy. Like, I no longer assume that Chuck or Kim or any of those other characters are are necessarily gone from Jimmy's life during the era of Breaking Bad. I didn't really assume it fully before, but I always thought, well, something's got to happen for him to become Saul Goodman. He can't have these people in his life. Mm -hmm. But I now see a way that... I think they've set up a set of parameters where Kim, nor Chuck, nor Howard, nor Ernie, nor anyone has to die for this show to be interesting. Well, yeah, maybe part of that expectation people have is from just thinking that this is going to be a pretty intense show. And so you think, well, if that character's not there, they've got to die. Something horrible is going to happen. But yeah, when you picture that, oh, maybe it's not that intense of a show, then you can say... Th- that opens you up to, oh, maybe they kind of fizzle out and wander away. 
I think if we just get Mike and Jimmy together in a storyline, a lot of these concerns would be would be ameliorated because we would be seeing Jimmy dealing with the kind of life and death consequences that we've been sort of feeling were lacking. Right. But what what I will say this episode did for me was it kind of shamed me a little bit about craving, uh, you know, more more exciting stuff from the show because I felt like what it showed me between the two characters was so. I mean, if it happened in my life, it would be earth shattering to to you know, to be betrayed by somebody that close to me or to even do what Jimmy did and betray somebody, you know, to, to rat fuck somebody uh, so close to me. Um, so there was a lot of rat fucking going on in that last scene. You know, Jimmy said it twice and then Chuck reveals in the end that he's the ultimate rat fucker. So, <laughs> right, which I, I did not know was a phrase. And so I, I, I had to look that up. I know the definition that it's some kind of sabotage or political dirty tricks. Did you catch the origin? But it might have to do with uh, stealing uh, rations the way that a rat would. <laughs> that, oh. you, that you take somebody's rations in the army and you, and you take out uh, just the good part. You eat that and then you trash the rest. There was a lot of rat fucking, but uh, n- no murder. Nobody died except the poor driver. Who, who, even he had a little humanity to him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess outside of that, it didn't have a lot of the blood and guts that I think a lot of people might have been craving. I personally wasn't craving them, but I was sort of expecting them, and I was kind of waiting to see when things would reach a fever pitch. But it, looking back, I think it was a season about like subtle choices that you make as you try to be yourself and you try to do right by other people. Um, and there was a certain amount of delayed gratification of things that we think we know are coming. I mean, it seems to make sense that some of these things that we're expecting are going to come to pass. I did make a little list of things we didn't get. We didn't get death crime resolution. We didn't get Fring action. We didn't get Rebecca or any more information about Rebecca other than that one flashback. Right. We didn't get Jimmy and Mike in cahoots, and we didn't get Jimmy lawyering for out-and-out criminals, like on purpose. Right. And we also didn't get the name change. Right. I really think that, yeah, that's, that's the thing that's hurting my admiration of the show is just going this long without throwing Jimmy and Mike in together more because, I mean, it might kind of sound like a, a fan fiction to crave that and say, why aren't these two guys running around and having fun? But um, it's like he's, he's just had two brief interactions in the whole season with Mike, and so it almost feels like it should be called... Jimmy McGill and also Mike Ehrmantraut. You know, it's just, uh, uh, it's two separate shows that are running at once for too long. I would balk at the too long part, but I agree with you that I want this show to unify those two threads just so that it feels like a cohesive beast going forward. Right. But it was so precise in its storytelling. And I will also say that if you look at a season about delayed gratification, and we do see those two characters come together only a couple of points, and and they don't have the interaction that we're expecting them to have. To me, I feel like that may make whatever interactions they have later richer because it won't seem like this. They just we're in a hurry to throw them together, uh, character mm-hmm. development and and some some level of reality be damned, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that the fact that they've gone this slow up to this point means that we won't still have the moment when he says, "All right, rat fuck this." I'm going to put on the flashy suits and change my name. You know, like that could happen halfway into the first episode of the third season for all we know. Like there's no reason to assume that he doesn't still make a sudden change Mm -hmm. because every choice that Jimmy makes is sort of like a lightning bolt hits him and he makes the choice. Right. And he also sees things through. Um, So while we didn't get a Saul Goodman commercial this year, we did get a great, I loved Gimme Jimmy. I love that that was the, the tagline. Yeah, that was a lovely commercial. And you know, you totally predicted you said, are we just going to see it over their shoulders in the hospital waiting room? And you even said Kim and Jimmy, 
uh, as though we knew they were going to be in the hospital. So I wondered if you had like a, did you get a tip or something about that? Because you said, are we going to see the, the commercial over their shoulders while they sit in the hospital waiting room or something? <laughs> did I say exactly that? Um, well, no, I think that um, uh, if I guessed at that, it was just in in the same way that the writers would come to that and that that's what would happen because uh, – we know that the commercial is going to play between 11 a.m. And, and 1 o'clock or whatever he said. And uh, if if Chuck's not, you know, immediately dead, which was my guess that he wasn't going to die, um, then we know that uh, in real life you would be hanging around the hospital for the next day and a half or five days or whatever uh, most in all your free time. Therefore – the only way you're going to see the commercial is, uh, you know, over your shoulder on the TV. Right. Well, no, I mean, it was just, it was an astonishingly accurate prediction. And I, I found myself uh, relating to Jimmy later in the episode when he says to Chuck that, like, he's, he's like, kind of laughing almost at how accurate Chuck's assessment of what yeah. Jimmy had done was. He was like, yeah, you, it is you crazy. nailed it. Right. Every step of the way. Yeah. My prediction, which I thought was reasonable, was was not accurate. Which was that we would see the commercial as the cold open. I totally could have seen that being the way they would, mm-hmm. the way they would use an element like that, though. But the reason that I didn't think that they were going to do it uh, your way is because I I was uh, uh, stuck on my notion that the end of the show was showing us uh, of, of the previous episode was showing us Jimmy's moment of like, do I run in or not? Do I run in or not? And then cut the show just where we have to wait and see if he does. Right. And then they did pick that up this time with like, yep, he did run in. Right from the beginning of the episode, you feel good about Jimmy because he thinks for a second and then he's like, they're not calling 911. And he just, he runs and he does it. He turns off the lights yep. as usual. He takes care of everything for Chuck. I, I think at that moment, Jimmy doesn't have any concept of what he's going to say if Chuck puts puts it together that he was there or if Chuck continues to pursue what's going on. I think at that moment, Jimmy is thinking, I got to help my brother. Yep. I don't know. We can expect a show that's going to be more about character and less about uh, like plot fireworks. And we can expect a, a show that is going to take its sweet time to get to some of the big events that we're waiting for, but we don't even know what shape those events are going to take. And I expect them to surprise us. Um, yeah. I feel a little unresolved going out of the season. I do sort of feel like, oh, I guess I'm just waiting a year for the next episode. I don't quite feel like a season ended and I am thinking about a little discreet chapter. I like your phrase, plot fireworks. That made me want to say that, yeah, that's the, that's the thing I keep uh, kind of complaining. We're not having enough plot fireworks. And I can see, it, yeah, it is enjoyable and cool to get this much uh, character development and and uh, deep thought on those things, but I think it's just the expectation of, of uh, knowing this is a spinoff of Breaking Bad makes you think, oh, this is going to be a world with a certain amount of plot fireworks, you know, and uh, and also just that, uh, to me, the shows that, that, that don't have enough plot fireworks are the shows that don't interest me, you know, that... Right. Uh, uh, it's either got to have uh, plot fireworks like like uh, a Breaking Bad, or it's got to have a lot of spectacle. It's like uh, uh, Buck Rogers or something. We really get to see a lot of stuff. Um, uh, so you know, if it doesn't have that, uh, it it can it, it's in danger of being a little too close to a Knots Landing or a General Hospital or something. It's just like yeah, this is about these people, and we're worried about their feelings every episode, but. 
I got to be a little more worried, a little more often about uh, uh, whether they're going to jail or or whether they're going to get shot. So it was episode eight that Jimmy forged the documents. Right. That three episode arc, eight, nine, ten, became the climax of the season of a sort, you know, because of what it led to. Mm-hmm. So I think in that sense, it's a great little three episode arc. But I, I agree with you if if you're saying the end of the season feels a little arbitrary. I think that's only because we don't see chapters 11, 12, 13. It doesn't bother me at all if the next episode is the one with all the fireworks in it. I don't blame them for structuring their story the way they did, Mm -hmm. but I do think it's a risky move to have a finale that doesn't have a moment like that in it. And I guess as I am prone to do, I I go from thinking that's a bad idea to that's a risky move to that's pretty cool. (laughs) You know, like Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not, I'm not dissatisfied in, in these, in the 10 episodes of this show that I watched. I mean, I want to know now what's going on. You know, I want to know right, now right. some of these questions. Who's taunting Mike and why? What's Chuck's plan? Uh, what At what point does uh, Jimmy go into business on his own under, or under a new name? And uh, mm-hmm. how does Jimmy's relationship with Kim progress? And what about what's going to happen with the guy with the big sunglasses? The little fella. <laughs> that was incredible. His little stride and his big grin and the the way that he popped him on and the way that Bob Odenkirk was kind of narrating the whole, oh, yeah, yeah, t- put him on. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, looking good. Yeah. Looking good, right. Did you catch that the next commercial on television was the Garden Weasel commercial? Uh, yeah. After his commercial aired. And so the first word that comes up on the screen after his, you know, Jimmy McGill, a lawyer you can trust, the first word that shows up on the screen is weasel. <laughs> oh, that, that didn't occur to me. That's great. But I did see that what commercial it was and just thought, yes, that's exactly the kind of spot that he, he would be playing next to. Well, I don't know if I have much else to say about this episode right now. It left me with some great questions uh, and it left me feeling good about the show going forward. But I agree with you. It was a slow season. And I agree with you that it was a little frustrating that Mike and Jimmy didn't hook up. But I'm, I'm, maybe I don't quite agree with you that, therefore, it's less like a show that I would watch. But I, I, I think, like you, I want to see <laughs> some of these uh, uh, more exciting things happen. Cool. Well, we're on the same page. And Chris, you got nothing else to add? You know, this is your last chance to say something uh, before the long summer. I guess, is there a place where people can find your work? You're a cartoonist and a, and a guy who's been working on a board game for a long time. What's, what's, uh, what sort of projects, kind of links or plugs would you like to make for yourself? Gosh, uh, uh, I don't know. I guess the best thing to do if anybody just wants to see some of my stuff is go to uh, saltyham.org. And uh, that's really a uh, website that collects a whole bunch of uh, Alabama cartoonists. So you go there, but I'm the guy who set it up. So you go there, saltyham.org, and then down in the lower left, you'll see uh, more about me. And it's a little picture of me, Chris Garrison, and you click on more about Chris Garrison or whatever, and that'll take you right to my page, which is a hub of uh, links to a whole bunch of different uh, comics I've drawn and stuff. And folks, you can write to the show on Twitter at Saul underscore searching, and you can email us at saulsearching at gmail.com. As far as my personal self, you can follow me on Twitter at Gianni W. That's G-I-A-N-N-I-D-U-B-Y-A. And Chris, don't think I don't hate spelling it every time, but I feel like I have to, don't I? Yeah, definitely. See, God damn it. Why, why did I have to be so clever with the spelling? It's much too clever. And you can also follow my band or, fi- you know, find out about my band at rosemarystretch.bandcamp.com. We have a couple EPs and an album up there that you can play and listen to for free and hopefully buy if you love them. Rosemary and you can Stretch, also- spelled just like Rosemary Stretch? Yes, it's not any kind of tricky Italian spelling or anything like that. 
Um, and also, you can hear me every other week or so on a podcast called Movie Schmovie, where we talk about current films, and we do occasionally go back and talk about some of our favorite films throughout history. So that is that. I, I kind of feel a little reluctant to to say what we always say because it's always so final at the end of a season. I think we have uh, uh, overstayed our welcome by a few minutes. All right, Chris. Hot talk. Hot talk. Hot talk.